And as a leader, so often it's easy to get caught in the pressures that we feel, the deadlines we know we need to meet, how that reflects on us. And it's so easy to get lost in all of that and what all of this will mean on me that you lose what it means to your team, who they are, what are they carrying, what did they face before they even walked in the door. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to Conversations. I am Brian Gorman, a Quantivos coach and the host of Conversations. And my guest today is Whitney Marshall, another Quantivos coach. Whitney is on a mission to cultivate and empower more genuine and generous leaders. She spent the first 20 years of her career creating and directing the corporate citizenship efforts for Kilpatrick Townsend LLP, an AMLAW 75 law firm, and is now a certified professional coach who focuses on challenging mid-career for-profit and non-profit leaders to navigate professional challenges and transitions with resilience, strength, and authenticity. Welcome, Whitney. Thanks so much, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Whitney, our focus for this conversation is purpose, passion, and alignment. What makes purpose, passion, and alignment so important to you? Well, I think that there is a, a real beautiful gift that can come when you feel as though the things that you value, the gifts that you have, are being fully utilized in a way that it feels natural when it's happening and can feel very, very hard when it's not. And I've been through so many different times in my life when I have felt misaligned, <laughs> when the gifts that I have are not aligning with the work that I was doing, whether that's personal or professional or my values, I haven't always been able to name it in using these words, but there is some version of feeling like things are off. And now that I've both had time in my career, but also now as a coach, I realize that the times when that has happened the most are the times when I know my gifts, my values, my passion points and interests are not in sync somehow. And so everything in those moments, I think, feels like a challenge, a struggle, even if I wasn't able to name it in those times. So I feel like it's a big miss when we are feeling some version of misaligned in some way, because we aren't able to use our gifts to the good of serving others in many ways. And I think that it has a great impact on our own personal um, inner work too. Very often, I know we both work with clients who feel like they can't bring their best selves to work. Sometimes that is around issues of diversity, but sometimes it's also around issues of 
my purpose, my passion, my values are just not aligned with what the organization is asking of me. I very often will ask my clients, what gets you excited about getting up and going to work in the morning? Most of the time they can answer that. Sometimes they can't. But then when I ask them, and what about the people who report to you? They almost never know. And I have one client a while back who turned around and literally sat down with each of his the, the people who report to him after that coaching session and came back the next session and said, I almost lost my best employee because I had just promoted him and moved him into a position heading up our customer service efforts. And he hates dealing with people. He said, put me in a closet with spreadsheets and I'm happy. So understanding what is it about people that gets them up and excited about coming to work makes a difference. Absolutely, it makes a difference. I can remember a time being that person who didn't want to go into the office and was sitting in the parking lot crying because I didn't want to go in. And I worked in the same spot for 20 years. So, you know, there's peaks and valleys with any kind of long employment journey. And uh, there were times when I absolutely loved it. And then there were times when I was miserable to go in. I wish I had been more vulnerable. And what you're asking in that moment when you're challenging your client to say, well, do you know what gets your employees out of bed? Do you, do you know what lights them up about coming in? Or where might they be struggling? It really requires vulnerability as a leader. And I wish that I had been able and willing to lean more into that vulnerability at times as a leader in my past work, because I had spent a great deal of time over the years thinking about what that might have meant for me. I did not often feel as though I could or should ask those kinds of questions of the people that I was leading. And I see the error of my ways as a young manager in particular. And working in a law firm, vulnerability was something that felt like a work hazard in many ways, because what was rewarded um, in many ways was the opposite. But I wish that I had asked that question that you so often ask your clients, because I think I could have really changed the dynamic as a leader of my team in certain situations, or perhaps in certain roles, asked of the people that I was even managing up, which was a big piece of some of my past work, even at the director level, trying to figure out how to manage up or manage across and trying to be able to have that kind of conversation with some of my peers, I think, could have illuminated something very different as well. I have a long-term friend and former colleague who's an entrepreneur, and every year at the start of the year, she pulls her team together and Granted, it's a, it's a small team, but it's a powerful team. She pulls them together and she says, this is what I want to accomplish this year. Let's figure out what you want to accomplish that can help achieve our business goals. And I think the other piece there that's baked into what you're describing is recognizing as a leader what the gifts of your teammates are. And so really trying to figure out and ask those hard questions of, you know, here's the gifts that I see day to day. What do you feel like you aren't having a chance to amplify right now in your work? Where are you struggling? What might we do to be able to help you cultivate this particular skill set? Perhaps not on this project, but maybe there's something else that we could 
do to help with that. You might not always be able to do some of those things, but the awareness and the fact that you want to know also demonstrates to your team members that you are curious and interested in the work that they're doing, but also as a leader trying to help them hone and shape those skills. And if you can't do it within your organization, because it's not always possible, depending on the nature of the company, the professional development opportunities that you have or not. Because I know for myself, having worked in a law firm and not being a lawyer, the leadership development trajectory and the resources they would make available were very different than what they may have done for the lawyers. And so you may not be in an opportunity uh, or in a, a funded place where you could do that within your employer setting, but perhaps helping your team members um, identify other opportunities outside of your workplace where they might be able to cultivate and groom those skills, apply them in a different way, is a piece of the work too, trying to help them solve that puzzle. I think there are two really important pieces in, in what you're describing there, Whitney. The first is know the people that work for you, not the roles that work for you. And the second is acknowledging that whether you're a frontline manager or a CEO or anything in between, Part of your role is that of leadership. Part of that leadership role is saying, what do you need from me in order for you to succeed? Because as leaders, our responsibility is to set our people up for success, give them what they need to succeed. And if we do that, we never have to fire anyone. They'll fire themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I, for me, I think one of the most important lessons that I learned leading teams is in many ways that first piece that you talked about of really knowing the people that you work with and that particularly if you are leading a team and that they report up to you, knowing what's going on in their lives, feeling confident enough to ask the question they don't always have to share. And I want to underscore the part about really getting to know your team and building relationship with your team. That is something that I have always found to be incredibly important um, for lots of reasons, not least of which is, quite frankly, it just makes the work more fun to know who you're doing it with, to get a sense of who, who you are working with and who is working for you. But I also think that you just never know those moments where things can change and things can change in an instant. And if you're able to build relationships with the people that you work with, it allows for something so much more. And so I think of a story, for example, of a teammate of mine. And at this particular moment in our careers, we were working together on some diversity, equity, and inclusion work. She was the lead manager for that work. And we had become very close over the years because we had been willing to have the difficult conversations. I can remember we had a big deadline and we were getting ready to work on a presentation to the management committee of the firm. We were kind of heads down working on this deadline. We owed some things to the partners who were our diversity partners who kind of shared the information up the chain. And I can remember Linda walking across the hall one afternoon. Actually, it was one morning. All she had was her cell phone in her hand, and she just said, I can't speak. Can you please take this call? And I thought, well, this is strange. It's her personal cell phone. I've never seen her look the way that she looked. And it turns out that her husband, who lived in Tampa, she lived in Atlanta because she was in town taking care of her elderly parents, had been in a motorcycle accident. And the friend who was with him was calling her to tell her that he had been in this accident. And she was so distraught and in panic and in just complete shutdown mode that she could not even hear what he was saying. So thankfully she at least had the presence of mind to bring the phone to me. 
I listened to what was going on, understood sort of where he had been taken, what hospital he was going to, what was going on with his current state, where we needed to get to and get Linda to so that she could be with him some of the dynamics at play there in Tampa and was then able to relay this information to Linda, who was then just completely paralyzed. So we put all the rest of the work aside because in that moment we knew what was most important. It had absolutely nothing to do with the work. So I was able, because I had built a relationship with her and really knew her as a person to start working in action mode. Okay, Linda, do you feel comfortable to drive? No? Okay. I will take you to your house and help you pack your bags. I will help get you to the airport. I will help you book this flight. I put it on my credit card. It did not, none of those other things mattered in that moment. It was just a matter of having to support my friend in that moment, my colleague, and make sure that she could get to her husband who had had this tragic accident. On the way to her house, as I am driving, and I had to tell my boss, who was the chief HR officer, like, sorry, here's what I need from you. This is what I'm doing. Please manage expectations of this deadline, of all the rest of it. She was really supportive, which was really helpful. And on the way to Linda's house, we were trying to just have a conversation about some other things so that I could just sort of like ease her mind of what was going on in the rest of her head and heart. And we got quiet after we were sort of trying to distract ourselves. And she said, Whitney, I need to tell you something. I was like, okay. She said, you're about to walk into a pretty volatile, interesting, I'm not sure what's about to happen situation. I said, okay, well, help me understand what's going on. What am I walking into? And she said, well, you are a white woman about to walk into my father, who is an African-American man who was raised at the peak of the civil rights movement and does not trust anyone who looks like you. So I appreciate that you are gonna be there for me and I have no idea if my dad's gonna appreciate it. And I just need you to know that that's what's gonna happen. I was like, okay, well, guess what? This is our work, our day-to-day work, diversity, equity, inclusion. We, at that time, were not talking about belonging, but that was incredibly important to our work too. And that was our work in action. And in that moment of trying to be there for my colleague and trying to put our work into practice, we were able to bond in such a really interesting, unique, powerful way. We were able to pack her bag, get her to the airport, assure her father that she was in great care in my hands trying to get her to the airport, have a really interesting set of experiences with her parents along the way and her neighbors who too were very curious to see this white woman in the house. And then it began a very different conversation for us and a different living opportunity to put our values, our work into action. But it all came down in that particular moment to really getting to know the people that this person on my team and caring for her in a way that quite frankly, was so natural to me. It wasn't anything that I was trying to consciously do, but because of the work we had put in up until that moment to get to know each other, to be vulnerable with each other, to lead with our head and our heart, that that moment was even possible because we trusted each other. I'm pleased to share that that her husband went on to make a full recovery. We went on to do great work together for years and remain actually friends um, now that we're no longer working together. And I don't know that any of that would have been possible. It certainly wasn't that way with everyone on my team. And so I'm really, really pleased with knowing that, getting to know people on my team in a different kind of way, but prioritizing them as people, 
led to such an important moment that allowed me to show up in such a different way as a leader, as a friend, as a person. Uh, and I would love to think of what was possible if more people led from that place. Whitney, you mentioned the word trust in telling that story. And what immediately came to mind for me is the model of trust that I rely on and, and that I work with my clients on, which is a neuroscience-based model that comes from the work of Judith Glasser. The acronym is T-R-U-S-T, and the R is relationship, and it's the relationship of seeing the world through the other's eyes. And, and that whole story spoke to me about you seeing the world through her eyes, her panic, her fear, which really put her in that fight, flight, freeze, that freeze mode, her trust of you to say, let me tell you what you're walking into and your understanding of, I hear that and thank you, I'm okay walking into that because you're helping me again see the world through your eyes. And I know that you need me here. Yeah, and I think that as you think about that idea of just, you know, we're often taught as kids to sort of be willing to envision walking a mile in someone else's shoes, right? And I think until we're truly able to stop and do that, even though there's no way that we could ever know someone else's experience, but at least trying. And I think that goes a really long way in creating a space where trust can blossom and flourish. It is a space that allows us to not make it about ourselves. And as a leader, so often it's easy to get caught in the pressures that we feel, the deadlines we know we need to meet, how that reflects on us. And it's so easy to get lost in all of that and what all of this will mean on me that you lose what it means to your team who they are, what are they carrying, what did they face before they even walked in the door. And I think that is also a piece as you think about it in the work of earlier, you talked about people who aren't able to bring their full or best selves to work. And there's lots of reasons for that, especially think it's important when you are a minority in a workplace, whatever that means for you. And so often we jump to race being the predominant issue. There are lots of other ways in which you can feel other. And many people have multiple ways that they feel other. And so I think as a leader, really considering what that means for your team. You know, I had a minister once who gave a sermon that I I just have yet to forget. And, and he said he had this big pillowcase and he held it up and the whole sermon was about everyone has their own bag of rocks and you never know how heavy it is until you try to lift it. And so you may perceive that someone else has it all together, has risen through the ranks. They always seem like they're fine. But if you were to truly pick up their bag of rocks, you'd realize like just how heavy that it is. And I think that, you know, what you're talking about as you think about that idea around trust and being able to see the world through other people's eyes, it's recognizing that we all come with our own bag of rocks. So really thinking about what we might be able to do as leaders to help lighten the load of the people that we lead, or even how might we lighten our own load? What might we do to consider, what might we do to help our, our load feel a little bit lighter? Maybe that's some aspect of self-care. Maybe that's simply putting the bag down for a little while and recognizing that we need rest. And so I think that that can work both ways as you think about this in the application of, of leadership. Whitney, what else is important to share with our listeners around purpose, passion, and alignment? So I think that there's a really interesting 
challenge as it relates to purpose, because I think that so often we can get tripped up by what for me has always felt like a very big question. And at times, one that has been a bit intimidating to not have the answer to. I don't know that I have it even fully figured out yet, but I think that it is sometimes hard to answer that question. You know, I at least know for myself at different times in my life when I have pondered that particular question, I have judged sometimes what my answer is because I feel as though perhaps my purpose is supposed to feel bigger or more significant, or I try to compare it to what other people are doing in the world that seems so big and important. You know, my purpose is not about trying to cure childhood cancer. That's not why I am here on this earth. And so really trying to get out of that comparison is the thief of joy trap that I feel like can happen to many of us who are wrestling with that bigger question. So I would say to those who are still seeking what their purpose is, one, trying to stop and pause if you find yourself doing that, because I think that it can lead to some version of a spiral that is downward that doesn't ever allow you to honor whatever your answer may be. But the other piece that I think comes is being willing to take small steps to get some answers that may help lead you to that bigger question. In 20, let's see, 2014, I started a leadership program that was all about introspective leadership. And one of the things that we did, well, one of the first things that we did was create a me map and we had to put our short and long-term goals, a representation of who we were, and we all had to share. You could only draw it. You couldn't write it. And it was in that moment that I realized that there were some things missing from my map. Throughout the rest of that program, we had to think about what our values were. We had to write a value statement, which I still have on my phone and look at regularly. We had to think about our time and do some time mapping and think about how our values and our time were in alignment or not. We really had to pause and consider what we wanted to do with the things that we were learning about ourselves and then make commitments around small action, which now as a coach is exactly the work that I do for a living. But those small steps, those guided small steps help to uncover and reconcile some of the challenges that I was having with my own misalignment or not being able to answer that bigger question of purpose because I was able to rediscover things that I was passionate about that were truly value-centered exercises so that I could claim and honor what I did value. I had never named it before. And then I was able to really think about what I wanted to do with the awareness that I had and what was I willing to put into practice as opposed to just having it be an academic exercise and some neat awareness for myself. And I didn't have a coach at the time and I wish I had because perhaps I could have done that work a little faster. But I do think that creating some space, if you are wrestling with this idea of purpose or it somehow feels too big or you're judging your own answer, trying to make space to sit with some of those other questions that you may have that is in many ways the tedious hard work that we judge as seemingly small, but just because it's not complicated doesn't mean it's not hard. And so I think that so often it's easy to avoid doing it because we somehow want to make it complicated. But I would challenge anyone who's sort of in that place to sit with that work and allow themselves to 
consider what is it that they value? Where are they spending their time? What lights them up? What makes their heart sing? That's a question you've asked me before. What makes your heart sing? And I think often of the quote from Rumi, which is let yourself be silently drawn by the strange pull of what you really love because it will not lead you astray. And I think we often forget to make time to do that. Again, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm thinking of some of my learning in neuroscience, which is we actually have the same sensory and motor neurons in our hearts and in our guts as we do in our head. And, and purpose, passion, and alignment isn't a head exercise. The alignment piece is, but the passion is in our heart. And the purpose, that's who we are at our core. That's in our gut. So listening to your heart, listening to your gut, following your instinct, if you can't name it, that's okay. The name will come. I couldn't name it for the first 20-some years of my career. But each time I knew when it was time to move on, and I listened to my gut, until I got to where I had the language to name what my purpose is. Whitney Marshall, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you, Brian. It was a treat and always a pleasure to spend time with you. And here's to more leaders leading with their head and their heart. And their gut. And their gut. <laughs>